Peaches, 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 peaches. Fuck no. I don't need that ever again in my life. Ever. What? What do you want? Damn it. What do you want from me? I hate you. I don't think I'd actually ever heard that song until you were singing it on the pod the other day. And now it's been following me. That's hilarious. Now it is everywhere. All right. You in the run of show. I'm in the run of show. Who's running the show? Who's running the show? Ha 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 ha. Let's try it. Mm. Okay. Shamon. Hello, everybody. My name is Chibi. My name is Rooster. And this is After Two Tequila Shots, the podcast where we talk about current events after taking two tequila shots. It is always distilled. We <laughs> were 20 weeks in. Um, How can you still not? Unfiltered. Uncensored. Unwritten. Like, under the spell of Elon Musk. Unpredictable. But always distilled. distilled. Let's go, people. It's episode 20. Hey. Two zero. The, the 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 double X. That's right. The double X, not to be confused with triple X. We don't really have a goal for how many we're going for, but so we just you know step into the milestones as they appear. Yeah, we we don't we don't have a plan. We don't have a goal. We don't have uh, m- uh, benchmarks, seasons, m- mile markers. No, uh, a map nope. even is is just uh, <clears throat> take it on a week by week basis and uh, blast it off into the wild blue yonder. <sighs> See how many of y'all are still fucking with us and. Uh, and for those who are fucking out with us, we appreciate y'all greatly. Absolutely. Thank y'all so much for tuning in. Yes, thank you for being here. My name is Chibi. I am a poet, performer, publisher, producer, and community organizer, and I will never again be convinced to watch another Nicolas Cage movie. Ta-ha-ha. Ever. Ever. I mean, <laughs> did, were you just really watching the movie knowing the whole time? Like, or were you doing other things? No, I was. I was legitimately just watching the movie. See, you are, if you catch our pod later, that was our number one recommendation. Go do other things. Was to have it on in the background, yeah. sort of deal. I did. Okay, so, for context, uh, those of you who may or may not know, uh, Rooster hosts another podcast called Underrated Favorites with his wife uh, that I produce, where they take a look at movies you might have missed. And, uh, you know, give you their recommendations, rate them like, yes, this is a great movie. More people should see it or no, this movie was trash. And um, we flame it. Yeah. And they're doing a Nick Cage month. I had no control over this. No decision making. (laughs) I would. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Which, you know, like, to be fair, I think Nicolas Cage is probably the quintessential underrated favorite actor. Like, it's just straight up. um, There's some bonkers movies in his his. Over yes, in his catalog, yeah. Um, but knowing had never seen it, y'all kind of rode hard for it while also being, being fair. fair that it's not a good movie, and uh, I will never get those two hours of my life. Well, back. you genuinely do not like Nicolas Cage, like when he is in peak Nicolas Cage form, you are you turn off, as it were. It just he's just never been a good mm. actor to me. See, that's how I feel about Johnny Depp. 
Sure. So like whenever sure. it's like, but look how weird he is. I'm like, yeah, I don't, that doesn't do anything for me. Like yeah. the weirder, more quirkier he gets, it just makes me kind of more annoyed. Yeah. And then with Nicolas Cage, the more intense and like committed to the bit that he is, the but, more I'm like, But oh, I get yeah. nothing from Nicolas. He's like deadpan in the mm-hmm. face. Well, like, because he's looking at the numbers and he's, and he's trying like, to figure it out. Monotone the whole time. Yeah. And he just gets louder monotone and quieter monotone. But there's yeah. no range of death in yeah. his emotion. Like real life. Delivery. <laughs> yeah. So don't go watch The Knowing. But do go listen to Underrated Favorites. Yeah. Uh, my name is Rooster. I'm a podcaster here with Chibi on Gemini's Productions. <laughs> Uh, it's just been a long week, man. It's hot. Today is, it's, it feels it. Uh, today it's, it's cause of the humidity. Yeah. We're finally bad. not breaking the hundreds today. Mm-hmm. We're staying in the pocket of nineties, but that humidity level has definitely skyrocketed. And, um, I don't want to be outside. Just surviving. That's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Getting by. Just, getting just by. to get by. Just mm-hmm. to get by. Let's talk about this tequila that you brought in today. Let's talk about it. This is Sousa. 100% agave uh, commemorativo. Uh-huh. Añejo. Añejo. Um, so Sousa, in my opinion, the, the standard baseline Sousa uh, silver is really good margarita tequila. 100%. Yes. elite margarita tequila. Yes, it is meant to be mixed with other stuff. You don't want to be drinking that by itself. But right. when it's mixed in there, it's the, it's that perfect little sweetness with the punch and because it's mixed, you know, like you, you don't you, yeah. yeah, you don't get it. It's it's also pretty standard house wells tequila, I yeah. believe, you know, if you go to a bar, Salsa Blanco, is, uh, you know, it's usually a well, um, unless you're in like one of those fancy hipster bars where their wells tequila is like Patron. Right. So this is, I guess, the 150 year anniversary bottle. Mm. Uh, 1873, Salsa, Echo in Mexico. Yeah. Congrats. Um, And I was like, you know what? I want to, since it's the, the commemorative Añejo, let's, uh, let's give this a, this is a little bottle a try. And I'm I'm I don't I'm not mad at it. It's not the worst. I do actually think this would make the best margarita, even uh, more so than the rest. I think this one still serves better I being could, mixed. I could see this in maybe like a spicy mango margarita, yes. right? Oh I, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't maybe necessarily put this in like your traditional like lemon flavored margaritas, mm-hmm. but if you wanted to go spicy with something, because she's got a she got a punch. It's she's very got skunk unk. skunky, she's which I've never really had for a tequila. Like it's not smoky, it's very skunky, but it, it's also sweet on the front end. Uh-huh. It's unctuous. She yes. she she lingers the flavor profile like Smooth. I get some some umami, yeah, a little bit fills out the mouth. Yes, uh, definitely smooth. Um, I'm not, you know, there's no fire roasting here. It's, yeah. uh, yeah, I'm not making the ugly tequila face. No, so, you all. know, I just think price point. Tell me, twenty five dollars. Oh, see, because it's a salsa. Yeah, of course it's twenty five dollars. And that's see, that was like, yeah, that was the that was my little ace in the hole that I was kind of trying to see how we felt about it, and then be like, for twenty five bucks, yeah, yeah, go ahead. If you're just like, if you're a college student. And you just really <laughs> want to have start your premium tequila lifestyle. Uh-huh. This is isn't a bad starting I mean, point. Using the word premium is a bit of a stretch here. It's doing a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think for me, it's just it's a little. Well, this is why you know, like I don't really drink whiskey for the most part. It's just it's a little f- too forward facing yeah. with its unk. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she's not bad. She's not bad. I think 
she, she, she could use a little more balance in her life. She maybe needs some yoga. Yeah. But you know. anyway, not mad at it. You know who else needs balance? This fucking country. This uh, uh, major <laughs> news and events. We're going to dive into it. There we go. That's the right button. That was a lot. <laughs> That's the button that we're going to do. Major news events recap for the week, y'all. A lot of stuff happened. A lot of stuff happened. Let's go. I say we just dive in at the top. Let's, let's go. Let's take, let's take on the biggest whale and eat it whole. Okay. Supreme Court has made some decisions. They've decided on some cases. And uh, have really effed America, effed the USA in the A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I think we were definitely raw dogged this week, mm-hmm. uh, unconsensually. Not at all. Uh, very, so. very Clarence Thomasy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this actually came besides the fact that it's you know kind of dominating the news. This also came in the DMs from Ron Horn. Yeah. Um, still haven't figured out if Ron Horn actually listens to the podcast and is making these recommendations for us to talk to, or if he just randomly is sending me headlines yeah give us a thumbs up or something Ron. just like morris code or give something. me a clue um but there were four rulings that went through this week i think there were four but i the big three were uh, it was the affirmative the, action yeah affirmative action no longer well let's be clear affirmative action still exists in the form of legacy admissions and, uh, and employee Put a pin children in that. We'll, we'll get to all, that. all right so yeah. affirmative action LGBTQ discrimination, uh, the student le- debt forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was. I feel like there was one more. I should have written it down. I had them. I'm listening to them. It's all right. Those are the three major fuck our lives. Um, so where do you want to start? Because I think you were kind of going on a roll there with the affirmative action side of it. So yeah. uh, let's dive into that. It's it's not just for. Um, According to Michael Harriet, um, the poet, the amazing shout out to Michael Harriet. Always uh, welcome on the pod. Yeah. Um, Apparently, legacy grantees uh, who are allowed into colleges across the United States and specifically in places like Harvard. During a recent study, they came to find out that um, 70 percent of legacy admittance in, in major universities are white admittance. I'm not surprised. Um, and these are sports. These are um, legacy, meaning their parents uh, went to the college and put in the, because their parents went. Now they get sort of uh, fast tracked in. Yes. And then also donors, uh, ah. people who donated to the college, they their kids get get kind of let so in. So the systems in power that favor white rich people continue to stay in power. And just to kind of put some context on it, because some people hear things like you know sports scholarships and they think, oh well, what about basketball players or football players or predominantly black sports? That is actually only I want to say I think they said that was like eighteen to thirty percent of actual sports. Um, scholarships. Okay. Because you have your tennis, you have your soccer, you have your baseball, you have badminton. Now they even do like esports, and and so the majority of of sports scholarships do go to yes, field hockey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they all go to to white students, white people still. So that's basically what the Supreme Court said is that race is can no longer be a factor in admissions, but they can even though. <laughs> But all other factors that continue to benefit rich white people can be factors. Right. So. And I think there's I, I think one thing I want to make completely clear about this is that, because I do think this gets lost in the sauce is there is this push usually by the right to 
really, I don't know how to say this, like dig, dig their heels into behind the concept of a meritocracy mm-hmm. and that meritocracy <laughs> is what genuine, genuinely makes America a standout country among its, uh, its peers. It's because here we're all on the same pl- platform to begin with, with our lives. We're all born American, meaning the sky is the limit. And it's just how much you put your head down and how hard you work. That'll take you as far as you can go. Uh-huh. Um, one, that's bullshit. And that's not true because we all don't start on the same starting block. Exactly. Um, but two, I, 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 especially when it comes to affirmative action is there's this element of it where mostly white Americans hear affirmative action and they think, well, now you're just robbing white students you know fresh out of high school or you know white opportunities and you're taking it away from them and that's really not the case all it's saying is is that and 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 that and and that somehow black students students of color um they that that like they're just getting in because of their race Mm -hmm. and that's so far from the truth what it is is just that like at a, a university like harvard or most universities um, the, 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 the top scoring students all get in, like mm-hmm. they, they earn their place. It's just when you get down to those median average students, making sure that you're not just always accepting white students, mm-hmm. because that's sort of where the problem in all this is. And, and, and I don't think white America even has fathomed yet how detrimental that is mm. to just in general, in, in general, but also how beneficial it is to them historically. Mm. So like if your C student gets into UT uh, Austin um, over, let's say a black student, a, a Mexican student, whomever, um, they're just by getting that brand of, they, they can still be a C student in college. They get their degree, but just by having UT on their, their degree, it says something, it opens doors. Yeah. And so th- this is why affirmative action in order to rectify a lot of the historical injustices is necessary. It is, it is an affirmative step to sort of fix those things. Yeah. And to be clear, like this, this only affects a small portion mm-hmm. of universities uh, and colleges across the country. Most universities and colleges already don't you know, consider that uh, because a lot of universities and colleges just admit, you know, like if you, you know, apply, you get in sort of deal. Uh, this disproportionately affects Ivy League colleges, mm-hmm. those that, you know, like you said, that like you have that name on your resume, like that goes a long way to like push you and advance you in this world. Um, and this really does feel like a, a moment of like white fragility where, you know, why people feel like they're being attacked in some way or like you said, being robbed of, you know, opportunities, their opportunities or... when they, there's just not the case for that. There's no evidence at, of that at all. Speaking of another ruling that had absolutely no evidence was the one where they ruled that businesses can discriminate against on, on the stance of religion on 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 the stance of religion. Businesses can deny business to LGBTQ Folks, um, so two things here. One, I have now publicly said that I will no longer be taking on makeup clients for straight weddings, which, you know, to be fair, I'm not taking on makeup clients, period. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm publicly stating that, you know, and I'd, I'd be interested to see, like, how fast the wedding industry would tank if all queer professionals that provide services for wedding based services just said we're not doing straight weddings anymore yeah on the basis of uh, my own religion right um but two uh, 
going back to that idea of like this has no evidence the the plaintiff that was arguing you know like that they were being asked to make a wedding uh website for yeah. a gay wedding journalists went and did some investigating that person that wanted a gay wedding doesn't exist yeah this is a made up scenario mm-hmm. this is on the uh, on the idea that i might maybe one day be asked to and i like and so i get it points out the hypocrisy of this court because they literally just made a ruling i think last week um against something on the grounds that it it has no standing Mm -hmm. right the plaintiffs in that case in this case i think it was the state of texas and uh some other state um have no grounds to say that they are being damaged in any which way shape or form right and so they threw the case out it was like this case has no standing here the plaintiff made up the scenario but somehow still has standing and this was allowed to go through and it was voted in you know in favor of the plaintiff, that that plaintiff has the constitutional right to discriminate based off a constitutionally protected status. So, All the right. fuck is going on? Let's here? get on our <laughs> aluminum foil hats for two seconds because it's going to get deep. Uh-huh. So, I, there's this documentary that I had put in the show notes like two weeks ago to talk about. <clears throat> and it was uh, about the do you know the Duggar family? No. So on TLC, they were really big. They were Mormon family who had this show called 19 Kids and Counting. Okay. And they did have 19 kids. Yeah. Anyway, um, to kind of get to my point, they were a part of this Christian fundamentalist group called the ISB something. Um, and there was all these terrible cases of things from like child pedophilia to all types of things. Um, but the most interesting part of it, and I and, it, and this is how it ties into the Supreme Court, is... Republicans have been playing a long game since the 80s. Mm-hmm. And this these Christian fundamentalist or organizations that I was watching about, they have like their own projects. They have their own debates teams. They have like they literally on top of homeschooling being such a huge part of the Christian fundamentalist experience where you destroy a child's ability to sort of think outside of the cult that they're in. Yeah. Um, they also get taught to sort of combat liberal, quote unquote, liberal talking points. Mm. And so where we're at now is the long game is paying off because whenever national polls come out for the majority of these issues, Republican issues never win. Yeah. On a, on a, on a, um, on a national level, most people are fine with gay people having rights. Most mm-hmm. people are okay with affirmative action. Most people are in favor of abortion access. And in most popular elections, Republican presidents don't win. So Actually haven't for more than long, 20 years. Yeah. Now. More than 20 years. Right. So it's this thing of, and, and, and the reason why I say all that is because the Supreme Court is has been packed with these conservative right-wing fringe judges mm-hmm. who do not represent the majority of, of the country. They really represent agendas. Yeah. And then you have the it, Clarence Thomas of it all. You have a guy whose wife was literally brought in and questioned by the FBI who was found to have ties with January 6th, who in, in revealing court documents about um, actual like fundraisers and, and money that he's been given, uh, that he was keeping secret from like very elite donors, uh-huh. uh, trips, all types of things. You know, he has yet to to sort of be kicked off. 
um, or sanctioned or anything. And I think polls have shown that the majority <clears throat> of Americans have no confidence in this court anymore. Right. Like, they absolutely do not respect it as like the rule of law because of the blatant hypocrisy that is going on. And wherein also I am feeling completely like um, – how let are you down. feeling, friend? How are you feeling? Let's talk about <laughs> Feeling it. completely let down yeah. by the quote unquote, by my quote unquote party or the party that's supposed to represent my interests and the Democrats is like, mm. their response is make sure you go out and vote. You don't vote for fucking Supreme Court justices, right. you know? And even when we did vote for people that we, you know, thought had our best interest at heart, they were still blocked from doing the right thing, you know, like mm -hmm. the Merrick Garland of it all, the fast-tracking of all these other ones during Donald Trump's mm -hmm. uh, presidency. It's like the system is fucking broken. And it's because Democrats still play by the rules. And, and this is where we get complicated because— Fascism can go both ways, you know what I mean? And 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 there is something to be said about playing by the rules and mm -hmm. voting. And 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 I know there's a lot of shout out to my communist anarchist, you know, abolishment ass friends out there. But there we can't, we're in this game and we can't disassemble the airplane while it's in mid-flight. Sure, but the issue that I'm having is that they're saying you're dissatisfied with what the Supreme Court is doing right now. You need to go vote. They're putting the onus back on us when the really it's like, no, no you in Congress I need to make disagree. some changes. You in the Senate need to make some changes. Hard you disagree. in the Oval Office need to make some changes. No, I hard disagree. The onus is on us. But the, pro the problem is, is we have to define what the onus is because the majority of people who may potentially listen to this podcast don't even know what onus is. And that's what I mean is it's like we live in a very undereducated country, a country where people have to work most times two jobs or one job in gig economy mm -hmm. to even make get by. Um, they don't have time to really expand. It, they, they can't afford housing. Mm -hmm. they, there's crisis after crisis. You have climate change. You have a number of health care scares. A number of things to keep us distracted so that the status quo remains the status quo. And, and sadly, like to really make change. Going back to the onus of it, like people in mostly liberal urban centers, we got to go. We got to move. We got to go out into these little rural ass areas and we got to take over because they do that for us yeah. or they gerrymander and they do yeah. every single thing they can that to skew the rules so that they can win because they can't win based on. That was the other thing uh, that I wanted to bring up as you were talking about, like the long game that Republicans have been playing in terms of just kind of like infiltrate the system. The other part that they're doing is uh, on the subject of elections, right? Mm -hmm. Being like, well, you know, if we can't win elections, let's just put people on these election boards, boards. Yeah. to overturn them. And that's what they've done is they are systematically trying to infiltrate yeah. the system so that when it doesn't go in their way, they can just change it to go in their way. They did that in Harris County in Texas, where if they don't like the, the results of the this predominantly black area in Texas, they can just say, OK, we're going to just throw them out. Like, what the hell do you mean you're just going to throw it out? Yeah. And, 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 and I think that's why I say we the onus is on us in this weird way. We 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 have to put our energy in, into a long game. We have to craft a long game and we have to play a long game. They're, because right now, they're, th this is my one silver lining about it. I think the Republican long game is coming to an end. Mm -hmm. They've got Roe v. Wade out. They've got affirmative action gone. They're now saying businesses can discriminate openly. And uh, they're not going to do anything about the student debt crisis. Um, 
I think we've gotten to this place where what they're, they're, now they're going to have to sit, brainstorm, have think tanks and determine what their next sort of mm. big grab is. And so we need to start ours. And it has to be taking back the shit that they took, but then also taking some of their shit Mm -hmm. because this is bullshit. You can't we can't have literally in the Constitution (laughs) separation of church and state and then have church influence the state. All of this. All the time. And I think this kind of goes to the AOC of it all, you know, where Mm -hmm. it was, you know, AOC is a perfect example of somebody that was just a person living their everyday life until they got pissed off enough to be like, well, I guess I'm running for office yeah. because y'all aren't doing it. Yeah. So I need to go in there and make some change. Yeah. Right. And so maybe we see Brewster on the bat for city council Shit. next year. You no, know, district. Me. I don't know what district. You're I'm in. district five. District five. Well, we got. I have a dope ass congresswoman or a, a district woman uh, uh, in my district, and the, and then district. Uh, I think it's one. They just got their new one, Doctor uh, Sue. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, where we have our poetry shows on Wednesday, uh, their district member, it, again, this goes back to the complicated nature of things where you have this cultural area in San Antonio where businesses are thriving. This is where locals come. They drink, they party, they listen to music, they dance. They're going to puke everywhere. They're going to bang in dark alleyways. <laughs> they're going to do cocaine off the hood of your car. Um, and yes, it, there's like housing not far from there. So you had these concerned homeowners, but then it's also this area that's becoming very gentrified. So a lot of these quote unquote concerned homeowners are people who flipped a house in the area. Yeah. And now and you know it's now a two hundred thousand dollar house, and they have a lot of security around it. But it's like you chose to live here because of the area, and now you're changing the area. Yeah, you're you know changing everything that made the area the area that you wanted to move to in the first place. Because I don't know if you saw this, and I don't know if you even been to this place, but like uh, this one bar in particular called the Squeeze Box, which was very well established in the hearts of San Antonians as a Tejano club, but sort of old school. It was, it was, it was, you know, accordions, it was dancing. It was, it, but it <laughs> yeah, was a yeah. vibe. Yeah. And it was like a really cool spot because of COVID, because of the construction, because of all the, the ways that the former district council member in district one, let them down. They're closing. They're, they're done. And that, and, and, and I think that that is a perfect synopsis uh, and metaphor for what we're talking about here. They can just, make a a quick decision, snatch away freedoms, and then close the book. Mm -hmm. And then we're sort of stuck here. Like, so do we march again? Like, what do we do? Yeah. Again, it is uh, the people that are currently in power being like, but it's up to y'all now. And it's like, is it? We voted for you so that you could protect us. But now you're not doing shit. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's up to us. You know, like, unless we want to go the... France route and let's just riot. Yeah, you burn know, some shit burn, down. burn some shit down, and then maybe you will you will pay attention to maybe. us because right now you're not. Right, you're not. That may and I, you know I don't want to 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 you know say we 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 we, shit, we, we do not want to be um, persecuted for antagonizing or instigating any kind of riots or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like. I'm not I'm not telling you to burn shit down. I we are poets. We are metaphorically talking about burning shit down. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes shit's got to burn. Um, speaking of collapsing infrastructure sure. and um, shit's that shit that's burning down and gentrification. Airbnb. Airbnb. <laughs> uh, I didn't actually know about this, uh, but I, I read the article you sent me. So kick it off and then we'll go from there. Uh, essentially, in a recent survey of major American cities where Airbnb is 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 popular and are 
destinations most tourists like to come to, they are losing chingos of money. They are in some major cities, upwards of 50 percent of profit loss from Phoenix to San Antonio to a lot of other cities. Um, Airbnbs just aren't cutting it anymore. But this also speaks to the housing crisis, because a lot what what this study found that was really interesting is that there are over a million and a half Airbnbs or rental, uh, you know, uh, I forget the actual term. It's like a quick rental or short term. Short term rentals. Yeah. Um, that 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 exist versus long term rentals, meaning like uh, you get a, a an apartment year, or yeah, you know, yeah, whatever, um, or just homes for sale. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's a lot of facets to this because then there's also the security concerns that have been springing up that apparently Airbnb has also been keeping quiet. <laughs> um, so let me kind of start with the first part, which is the money. Fuck rich people losing money because they thought I'm going to go buy houses in on 6th street and or near 6th street flip them on the east side shout out to east side austin i love you old east side austin uh-huh. uh and then they were going to you know flip them charge and then just make their money back on these little short term rental airbnbs um and then when as time has gone on, the other thing that's happened is Airbnb owners are starting to start add like way little nickel and dime, like uh-huh. extra fees or certain requirements. Like you better make sure you take all the sheets off or do this or you're doing chores. Yeah. And it's becoming this whole mess where now people are like, well, fuck it. For the cost, I might as well just go to a hotel. Yeah. So a couple of things on that. One, this notion that Airbnb is collapsing is based off of one person's tweet. Mm-hmm. One person's tweet and one person's data analysis, uh, data analysis that uh, basically just compares what did Airbnb do in May of 2022 and what did they do in May of 2023, right? And mm-hmm. the numbers are vastly different. I don't think that this necessarily means that Airbnb is collapsing. This just went viral and took off. But um, two, I think this is the result of late stage capitalism, wherein Mm -hmm. very much so, I think when Airbnb started, we were all really excited for it. You know, it was a disruption to the hotel industry, which forever had been price gouging us left and right, Mm -hmm. you know, for like, so I want to stay one night and you're charging me like, $180 $180 for like this shitty mattress and a, you know, air conditioning system that's going to keep me up all night. And also you didn't tell me that this hotel is located next to a train station oh, yeah. sort of deals. You're right. Um, <clears throat> and so I think we were, we were very much on board with Airbnb and what they were doing. Um, I remember, especially because like, you know, we go to national and regional poetry slam things. We're usually Touring, in, the, things, in yeah. the past, whenever we, you send a team, you either all, five to eight of you pile into one hotel room for a week or you have to you know buy two or three four hotel rooms to accommodate the multiple people that are traveling and then we're like oh we could just rent a house yeah and people still kind of get their own bedroom-esque their space etc so like we were very much on board with it what happened is that yeah Rich, rich people and I think Airbnb the company too uh, mm-hmm. may not I may not be speaking correctly here just decided let's just start buying property mm-hmm. you know it, we opened it up to people to just rent their own properties but what if we own the property so now we're keeping double the money we're keeping all the money because 
that was well timed. Yeah, that was the sound effect that the CEO heard in his head when he was like, what if we buy our own properties and then rent them? Uh, and so, yeah, that completely squashed the housing market. People can't afford to rent anymore. People can't afford to buy anymore because it's it's a you can't negotiate when Airbnb is like, I will pay you cash right now to a buyer to, to a seller of a house versus someone who's like, well, I'm trying to come in at this number, you know, like you just, you can't compete. So they bought up a ton of houses, they flipped them and now they're not selling because to your point, you know, there's cleaning fees and, and all sorts of surcharges. And it's like, what do you Hidden mean? Cameras. I have to creep shit. Yeah. I have to, you know, like I have to wash all the, di what the fuck am I paying a cleaning fee for? If you're asking me to clean the house before I leave, I'm on vacation, bitch. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing my own laundry at all. So, uh, fuck it. Let it go. It got too greedy is yeah. the thing. And, and in the virility of, of, of the tweet that you're mentioning, um, there was also a large, large amount of just viral response to people being like happy that Airbnb yeah. collapsing just sounded like music to their ears. And the tweets were hysterical. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. Because they're not wrong. No. You know, like Airbnb very much kind of like Netflix, I think, you know, in which it started as a disruptor to the status quo because we were all tired of paying late fees at Blockbuster, you know. Yeah. So what? I don't have to pay late fees. This sounds great. Let me jump on board with it. What this? I actually have space and it seems affordable. Great. Let's run with it, Airbnb. But it just got greedy. It got too invested in its own capitalistic nature, and um, it it needs it it needs to be checked. You know, this is a perfect example of check yourself before you wreck yourself because mm -hmm. you are on the verge of being wrecked. Yeah. So check yourself, scale it back a little bit and, um, you know, maybe. And speaking of checking yourself before you wreck yourself because you may your shit may get fucked up. Um, asshole. I don't even know what to call him. Elon Musk. <laughs> Elon Musk is confused. Executive no. in charge. <laughs> like, it's, we live in this weird mediated world where, every, I mean, shit, we're media technically through this podcast, but technically. Um, but Elon Musk is one of these guys in the media who I've really spent some time looking at. Okay. Learning about, trying to figure out what it is he does mm -hmm. and trying to understand the cult of Elon Musk. And, every we, and we've single, talked about the cult of Elon Musk on this podcast. And every single time, it's just so f fucking depressing. It's just never anything all that impressive, no matter how you slice it. Um, so going to submarines that rich people buy and die in, uh, Elon spent $44 billion to be the owner of Twitter. He fired a whole bunch of, of programmers and, and people who worked at Twitter. Yep. He swore that it doesn't need all that much help, swore that he was going to uh, make Twitter. Um, make Twitter great again. Yeah, make Twitter <laughs> great again uh, and make it profitable because Twitter is Twitter is one of the few. I know you're, you don't fuck with Twitter as heavy as I do, but unlike, say, a Facebook or an Instagram or even a TikTok Twitter was one of those very honest platforms mm -hmm. that once you kind of understood how to navigate, it was just kind of it was yours to enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, and it was free. But and they lost a lot, a lot of money because 
even as they started putting in ads, just people start. I like one of my favorite things to do was to block like Nestle Crunch or whoever, you know, like <laughs> yeah. so that I don't have to see their ads anymore. Audi, you know, like I don't need to see your ads. So I just blocked the company and I never saw their ads. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Elon decided first that he was going to create this new blue check mark system. So first, the blue check marks were for legacy people, people of note. People that need to be authenticated as like the real per like yes, yes this, this is, is a real Kamala company, Harris. this is really Coca-Cola, whatever. Yeah. Uh and turned it into and he got rid of the check marks and, and now it's this eight dollars a month system. Pay for play. And yeah. I think uh there were trolls that created Elon Musk accounts and, and bought a blue check mark and, and that was it. Yeah, you know, like all right, well this is the system you set up, Musk. Yeah. Um and and now he's trying to what happened over yesterday, actually, that was appalling. Tell me. For a long time, you can just scroll forever. You can just look at whatever. You can go down rabbit holes. You can hit a hashtag, see whatever. Um, all of a sudden, there started to be these sort of issues happening on Twitter. And people were like, oh, like Twitter is acting up, which had kind of been the case for a while, uh, ever since he got rid of a lot of his developers. Uh, but now it was like he sends out a tweet, and the tweet says... Uh, to ex- address extreme levels of data scraping and system manipulation, essentially he is limiting how many tweets a person can see. Mm-hmm, New unverified accounts can only see up to 300 tweets a day and unfair unverified accounts only 600 posts a day. Um, verified accounts have up to 6,000 posts a day. But again, it, it, it's this whole pay for play situation where it's like, well, what do you mean? This was like... The bathroom wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you're... This was the town square. I mean, that's what he touted it as. It's like, this should be the town square where everyone can just access, say whatever they want and access whatever they want. And now, no. And and people really, really started to rebel against it. A lot of people are moving on to other platforms like Mastodon. I'm going to probably do the same. It's just, I'm, I'm, I used to love Twitter. It's gotten so bad. I was never invested in Twitter to begin with, so I don't feel like I'm losing out. I'm the one thing about Twitter that I loved over every single platform was that whenever breaking news was happening, no matter what it was, it could be sports news, it could be entertainment news, it could be red carpet news, it could be a national tragedy. You could just follow it. You can on see Twitter. it happening in real time. Find yeah. everything like hours before other platforms yeah. i love that yeah um now now it's just a mess and now he also does these weird shadow like hiding of of trending topics so like when trump got indicted uh recently all the other elements to uh, like surrounding a, a tweet that would speak to trump's indictment was were, were coming up as trending except trump's name mm. and so it's like yeah he's protecting his conservative you yeah. know assets yeah the one thing that I loved about Twitter is that it was so easy to screenshot and repost on oh, Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> like, All day. Because that's where I'm like, I get my Twitter via Instagram. So it's because Instagram finally got funny. And I think this is where <laughs> we can kind of go with this. Like some ha ha. Uh, yeah. I, like which platform do you even have fun on? Genuine uh, question. When define fun. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a good point. Like, do you have fun on any of them? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. I, you know, we and we were kind of talking about this um, earlier this week. Like, I, I don't actually put myself out on social media too much. You know, most of what I get on social media, um, 
in terms of the content that I'm putting out is more about like my artwork right. and also promotion for said artwork. Yeah. I don't really do much outside of that. I, I will say that the one that I get the most joy from would probably be Instagram just mm -hmm. because, you know, like I follow fun accounts yeah. that most of them just kind of repost screenshots of tweets, yeah. you know, but it makes it easy for me to find them. I can't find shit on Twitter. It's There's <laughs> just so much shit. Yeah. I, you got to learn can't. how to drive on Twitter. Yeah. Similarly with TikTok, I'm like, okay, I like this, but. You have a TikTok? I have a TikTok. I don't post on it very often. Mm. It's, excuse me, that's the tequila talking. Yeah. It's mostly me watching chefs do chef things on TikTok. Mm. Uh, I, I really, I really like food TikTok. Food TikTok, you know, is, is sexy. I do that on Instagram. Food Instagram? Yeah. But like Instagram got funny. I think that was a thing for the longest time. Instagram was, and I kind of miss this about Instagram. Instagram used to be genuine. Yeah. And in the sense that it was like, I did want to see your day. I did want to see what food you were posting. I did want to see who you were hanging out with. I did want to see what bar you were at. I did want to, it was like life in snapshot. Yeah. Um, and then you had Versus people. Versus Facebook, there was life in dissertation. Yes. <laughs> and then, and, 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 and Twitter was actually so fun. Like Twitter was hilarious. And then if you knew how to navigate it, it was informative. It was all these things. Uh, but it wasn't genuine, I think, for the most part. Uh, but Instagram was genuine. But now Instagram's funny. You have people shooting little videos that are hilarious. I'm sending a bajillion Insta reels to friends all day. Yeah. Sorry, homie Chris and, <laughs> and, and others. I have uh, a coworker that like that is the nature of mine in his relationship is he sends me reels. Yeah. And it's usually gay country folk. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody so, on a farm being like, why these hands? There's so many hands. Get back in your cage, Rupert. <laughs> Rupert, the fuck you doing? I, I am paid enough for this shit, y'all. Somebody come save me. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I'm here for the reels, which I think, you know, like I think Instagram did a good job of kind of like riding the, the TikTok wave and yeah. like really putting emphasis on these reels. I just I'm not here to create them. <laughs> sure. No, I'm the same. Like, that's why I, I don't want to have a TikTok when people tell me to is because. I, I I can type out what I what's on my mind. I can sn snap a quick photo. I'm not I'm not trying to produce a video. It's, for it's anything. It, it's a lot of effort, and it's like I see it. I'm constantly being told, you know, like TikTok is the next platform for poets, you know, and I get it. You know, it's video. It's you know, like you know, hearing, seeing you read your work, do your work, whatever, and then I get the algorithms do whatever it is that the algorithms do, but like. <sighs> Well, but as as Ain't nobody got time for that, and as artists ourselves, I think we have a conundrum. And any artist listening, hopefully, this can even something you may consider if you haven't already. But I, you know, there used to be organic growth on like a Facebook, on Twitter, on mm -hmm. Instagram, and on TikTok. But because you have all these new platforms, and because viewership has shot up tremendously, it's gotten to this point now where where viewership doesn't necessarily equal like money, yeah, or it doesn't yeah. equal much. So like I know I know a lot of people who have uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of followers on a particular platform, but it does like I, they no one still knows who the fuck they are. Yeah. 
So it's like we've really washed out what fame is. Let's talk about this organic growth for a moment because I'm going to go on a soapbox and vent for a second. Do that shit. Um, because I was talking to my husband about this earlier this week. Is like, fuck these algorithms. Fuck these fuck algorithms them in, the ass. in the ass. So uh, just to per- personally talk about my experience, right? Um, I got into Lambda Literary this summer. Yeah. Super hey, exciting. Fucking air horn that okay, shit. Okay, all right, all right. I'll layer. <laughs> Shout out to Lambda Lambda Literary. For those who don't know, explain. What is Lambda? Uh, Lambda Literary is a nonprofit that promotes the LGBTQ community within the literary world. Every year, every summer, they have a retreat wherein you have to apply. You send some of some of your work. And then if you get you get selected, you are a group of a small elite few in your genre that gets to go workshop your shit with other people there. And you have like an instructor that. is kinda, awesome. That that guides it. This summer, the instructor that's uh, doing the poetry cohort is Philippi e. Williams. So, like, super excited. I got to see him read with Natalie Diaz last summer Sweet. at the San Antonio um, oh, book I fair. Do, yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah. Fucking he phenomenal. He, his book had sold out by the time that I got to see him, so I didn't get it. Uh, I now have it. Uh, so excited to be, you know, like in, in conversation. <laughs> With him, similarly, I got into a retreat uh, at the Sundress Academy of Fine Arts. They yeah, have a did. farm, and so I get to spend a week on a farm. Farmer Chibi. Just working on my shit, which has been, like, legitimately, I have not gotten a chance to work on my shit because I'm working on so much other shit, so I'm really to just, like, tune everything else out and fucking finish this manuscript. Algorithms. I... Need assistance to get there yeah. because there's tuition, there's food, there's flight, there all all yeah. sorts of things, right? And so putting out a campaign to be like, hey, if you'd like to help me get there, please. Algorithms not picking it Swallowed up. It. Nothing that I am posting in terms of me trying to like be like, hey y'all, I, here's this great opportunity for me. If you'd like to help me, please do. It gets like two or three likes, yeah. and I want to think that it's not because people don't no, like it. It's, me. Not. it's, it's literally algorithm. because no one has seen it. Why? Because anything that is promoting something gets squashed, so that you are then forced to buy ads mm-hmm. so that people can see it, mm-hmm. and it's like has completely squandered that idea of like organic growth. And I'm just not, I'm like, I'm so like wanting to throw shit at walls because it's like, I don't, well, I don't post enough funny, funny memes. Is that, is that it? I need to post more funny memes in order for people to see my like actual cry for like, Hey, if you want to support me, that would be great. You know? And if anyone wants to support me, you can just go to chibi.me slash donate. C-H-I-B-B-I dot M-E slash donate. Okay. Mm -hmm. Putting that out there. Uh, So fuck algorithms. And fuck Facebook. Um, And uh, yeah, that, that, that was my soapbox. I'm stepping up back off of it. <laughs> no, it was good. It was good. Uh, and then last top news event, uh, SAG to join the WGA on strike, question mark? Question mark? I don't know how much time we need to spend on this. this no, this... we support the writers and we support the actors and we support y'all doing it. This kind of also ties into the fuck the algorithm of it is we're in this space now. And and you and I have had lengthy conversations about this off, off air about like is what we're doing wrong now where it used to be being on the internet, being on a podcast, being on Instagram and creating flyers and all this shit used to be a good thing. Like, do we have to go back to just more grassroots fucking print out some shit, slap it in the bar at a Starbucks and, you know, get more eyes that way. QR codes. I don't know because, because of the streamers, because of, 
viewership not equating into actual dollar signs. Uh, yeah, artists are just getting fucked. Fucked left and right. And, uh, you know, what was the most interesting thing? So for anyone that isn't following this, you know, Writers Guild of America is on strike right now because, you know, they are feel like they're being treated unfairly by studios and and um, cha- channels, production companies, etc. cetera. Uh, rightfully so. Go on strike. Get your coin. You deserve to be paid uh, for what you deserve to be paid for. And the Screen Actors Guild, along with BAFTA, AFTA, BAFTA. Oh, there's a lot of AFTAs. There's, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of letters that uh, create um, acronyms. Um, but essentially, the 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 guilds, the, guilds, the unions that uh, represent actors in movie and television shows, is currently renegotiating its contract. Um, they have extended the current contract as these mm. negotiations continue. Right. There is talk that if a negotiation can't be met, mm-hmm. they may also join the writers and go on strike. Yeah. Um, to completely stop production. Exactly. And the interesting thing to me here is that the last time that actors and writers were both on strike together at the same time when? was in the 60s yeah. when they were trying to renegotiate their contracts because they were like, we need residuals if our shit is going to play on television, which was a brand new medium at the Mm -hmm. time. And now it's the exact same thing. We need residuals if our shit's going to be on Mm. streaming. Not just that too, but there's also... I watched the fuck out of Seinfeld on Netflix. (laughs) There's also actors that are putting... The the other thing that they're fighting to go on the technology of it all is the AI Mm. of it all. Uh, a lot of actors are seeing that if they are going uh, to be an extra, these are actors that work as extras, that work as, you know, these are not your Meryl Streep's, right? Um, but that essentially they are being forced to be scanned, body scanned when they get hired to do something. Shit, I didn't know that. Yeah. So they will, they scan the actor. Yeah. And then now they can put that scan of that person into, into AI mm-hmm. and replicate it and use it however many want, they want. So whereas, you know, before an extra on a movie or on a TV set might be hired for a week, and two it's weeks, like maybe you a got month, 60 bucks a day for that shit. You know, now you're only hired for one day, you get scanned, and then they use your likeness in perpetuity. Shit. And so that's fucking them out of, you know, work days. That's also fucking them out of their health insurance because in order to get health insurance through the union, you have to work a certain number of days. Well, now if a movie company doesn't need you for three weeks to shoot this crowd scene, they only need you one day to scan you and put you in all the crowd scenes. Well, there goes your fucking health insurance. I think you and I specifically one day like need to have a bonus pod where we like really talk to some of our other friends who are in you know, either the art industry, the creative industry, just to kind of get thoughts on this, because there I, I am, I side with the writers and, and all that. However, unlike when radio turned to television and television, you know, uh, turned into streaming, we are in this era now that I just think is, is completely different. Yeah. And we're not prepared for it. And I'm just curious to know what other people think. It, and I think we're not prepared for it too, because like, a lot of the regulations mm-hmm. that, you know, these companies like go by are government regulations and people in the government are all 80 years old and don't know what the fuck it means. This is why Post Malone is doing Raising Cane's commercials. I didn't because, know that. Yes. Because, and I'm like, what? why is Post Malone doing Raising Cane's commercials? Because like, he ain't getting no money from all his streams. At all. Like it does. You don't get money from that. And it's it's trash. This is why Taylor, it's, it's a whole mess. The Internet um, is a mess. But 
hey, we side with the the, the writers. We we side with the people and the actors. Maybe uh, this shout is... out to Fran Drescher. Yeah, <laughs> that was what that was probably my favorite thing about these stories was being like Fran Drescher still around. She's Hell the president. Yeah. She's the president. Goddamn right she is of the union. With so her, I'm, imagine that voice barking on you in a in a in a union meeting. Yeah, in a negotiation yeah. meeting. That's gonna get some shit done. Mm-hmm. Um, but fair is fair. Yeah. Like, damn. Let's uh, let's let's get out of here and let's get back to. into Instagram, back into social medias. This is how much for a gram. Have you heard at all about the Grimace birthday challenge? No, no, no. But before we go there, I want to say I, I don't I don't know if you were just feeling it or what, where you were just like, "Fuck these headphones! I'm taking them off." We are oh, having yeah. a conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's literally what happened. I was just, yeah. For the listeners, yeah, I took my headphones off. I was just, I was just more engaged this way. Okay. Uh, uh, no, tell me about the Grimace challenge. Grimace birthday challenge. This is some Gen Z shit. I'm, I'm, familiar, all, I'm familiar with the Grimace from McDonald's. Grimace the person and the. And there's like a milkshake yes. or something. So Grimace's okay. birthday has happened through McDonald's. Okay. And in celebration. Happy birthday, Grimace. Yes. Grimace is gay, by the way. Oh, 100%. So, yeah. you know, just um, so you know. So to celebrate McDonald's, it now has this purple milkshake drink. Yeah. And uh, and people, it was just be, to be cute, like, hey, celebrate Grimace, get his shake. Gen Z being the, <laughs> the nihilist. Awkward weirdos that they are. Sorry, shooting these these Grimace birthday challenges where they they go to McDonald's, they buy the the drink, and they record themselves being like, "Hey, I got the new Grimace birthday shake. Happy birthday, Grimace!" And then they drink it, and then it cuts, and then when it comes back, it's like a scene from the movie Seven. It's like a murder scene. There's just purple like <laughs> shake over their face, <laughs> and like so then, and then it's grown to where you have like five, six people like, "Happy birthday, Grimace!" And then it's like a fucking, it's just gnarly. You're like, you're like, what is this? Okay. Okay. Insanity and like I I don't want to spend any time really decoding the Gen Z of it. No. Shout out to y'all, keep doing Sh- your challenges. Yeah, because you're, it is just disruptive to be disruptive, and I and like internet challenges come and go. Here for it. I'm, what 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 would I guess this is my question? What is the first internet challenge you remember? Because there's been a bunch. I remember. I remember the planking. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> Will we get to that? Oh, yeah. Do, oh, when we get, we when we get into uh, what was the dumbest one that you've done, that, I was in on that. <laughs> yeah. I remember planking, and I think I remember the uh, what was his name? Damn, the quarterback from Florida State. Uh, damn, and he was like very religious. Please, and so he would like kneel. Please clarify to me why you're asking me who the quarterback from Florida State was. Tebow, Tim Tebow. Yep. Nope. So it was like you would do the Tebow where you get down on one knee and you kind of like you you. you uh-huh. It's like you pray. Uh-huh. So people were like Tebowing at work, or they would Tebow at like some okay. basic shit that you did, like. Yo, just got successfully ordered at McDonald's. Team t- Team Tebow and like, nope. yeah, I, I remember that. Um, I remember the what was it? the not the sriracha sauce, the one from Rick and Morty at McDonald's, the Szechuan sauce. Oh no, it was it. I, and see, I don't watch Rick and Morty. I remember the cinnamon challenge. Oh, the cinnamon chat. That's an old so one. so stupid. And it's the best, though. <laughs> no, because it is so stupid. It well, was the I think, epitome of stupid. I think the, I the social, media, <laughs> social media allowed everyone to have their own episode of Jackass yes. on a regular basis. And that's where challenges, I think, grew from. And for anyone that apparently mm-hmm. is, you know, like younger than elder millennial status, Spice Girl millennial status, to, to clarify, Jackass was a show where <laughs> uh, all of these... 
It was like ridiculousness. All of these people, these 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 jackasses, would just do what are now like social media challenges, and they would film themselves. And it was usually one of those things where, like, I'm gonna you roller skate as hard as I can into a brick wall. Yeah. And uh, people found it funny for some reason. Yeah. Not me. Uh, but the cinnamon challenge was cinnamon, great. The it ice was, bucket challenge. The ice bucket challenge was for causes, good causes. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of challenges. I, did you do any of them? You I did, did the ice bucket challenge. I did the ice bucket challenge too. Actually, we did it at Blah. We had like a whole oh, damn. group of people. Yeah. Okay. And it was cool. I did it because I was tagged. Uh, I just moved to Houston, mm-hmm. and some of my like new coworkers had like tagged me in it, and I was like, "Well, I guess I want to make friends." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? We got tagged by Laredo Border Slam. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Miss B and all them. So, but that was I want to say it. Okay. I know. I don't think I, I did some planking, but it, I did. To me, the one plank I did was at this radio station that I don't even think is around. Uh, where DJ T Rock, shout out to T Rock, was 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 mixing, and me, he just brought some rant, put me and some other poets up to hang, mm-hmm. and we, in between like commercials, we would do a poem, and then he'd go back to playing like TLC records, <laughs> and like <laughs> just because we were there, it was like playing challenge, so I just like laid across the boards, and my homie Wasabi took a photo. But uh, but planking was hilarious for anyone under the age of 30. Uh, <laughs> you laid out flat like a plank, and the goal was who could plank in the gnarliest, like most, maybe even death-defying ways? Maybe, maybe. Because I saw one person plank on like a McDonald's arches, like real high in the sky. Okay. There was some serious planking going. I mean, there's also some very, very, to the planking across the McDonald's arches, uh, questionable. There's a Tide. The Tide Pod Challenge. The Tide Pod Challenge. That was bad. That's a bad look for America. Yeah. I people die. But these are the Tide... This is the Tide Pod generation now evolving into the Grimace Challenge. Okay. And this is art. Oh, you, 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 the, the one that was art that I was, like, also here for was uh. the... Uh, was it the Mannequin Challenge? Is that oh, what it was called? Oh, the Mannequin Challenge was deep. The Mannequin oh, yeah. Challenge was amazing. And I, I did two of those. Okay. okay. So one was at work. Yeah. I didn't uh, have enough friends to do the Mannequin <laughs> Challenge. I didn't. I was just at home, and I was like, I could go to some place with people that I know. I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing well, that. you you had a place. You could have done it at Blah yeah. because we did it at right right about now. Yeah, where we got the entire audience, the audience, the poets. I the was host, hosting, yeah. and so it was like let's they just came through avant garde. Yes, and everybody was just fucking frozen. And then I remember we did it at work, which was kind of cool. Was just to like in the middle. When I say work, uh, I worked at uh, the Mac store at Memorial City Mall. So like, think about it. You're in a mall, okay? And there are just random people in the store, and we literally were like, "Hey, everybody." Freeze. Freeze. We're going to do a mannequin challenge right now. Okay, so if you're in the store, we're going to do a mannequin challenge. If you don't want to come out in it, then maybe, you know, leave the store. But just give us, you know, like, give us 45 seconds of just being frozen. And, you know, like our Gen Z, you know, employee went through with the phone. phone. Uh, And I thought, I mean, that was that was fun. That was cool. I think it's it's there's some that are interesting, but then there's also like, why the fuck are you going to eat a spoonful of cinnamon? That was hilarious. Why are you going to eat a Tide Pod? The reason why that one was hilarious to me was because people, there was a large group of people prior to that who thought that it was just like, yeah, you could. It's just cinnamon. Yeah. They thought it was like sugar. Like they were like, why can't I eat just a spoonful of cinnamon? And and if you have never seen it, go look up cinnamon challenge results. It's hilarious. Yeah. I died every time. 
so shout out to Gen Z for this Grimace birthday challenge. I think this is uh, this actually sounds really interesting. Uh, I'm intrigued. I'm all for most of the challenges. Yeah, I want to see it. Ha- I don't have time for them. Like, yeah, I ain't, ain't going to do one. It. No. <laughs> yeah, I went yeah. to a McDonald's earlier today and I saw the Grimace shake. I was like, maybe. And I was like, nah. I'm nah. But you could. But you uh, could. But, but you won't. No. Speaking uh, of uh, people getting at us on social media. Yeah, let's get into down in the DMs. It is. Ayo, get at us. And you did. Y'all did. Shout out to y'all. Thank you so much. This is why you have to wear your headphones. We couldn't hear you. Why? You can't hear me? We couldn't hear you over the music that was playing. Oh, yeah, that's And fine. you can't hear the music because you don't have your headphones on. Rooster went rogue. Oh, yeah, I'm going uh, rogue. All right, let's it's, start with it's, this It's one. a Sousa. Let's start with this one. Uh, Taryn K sent me a message being like, let's talk about our 2022-2023 Texas Poet Laureate's book is on the banned book list. Lupe Mendez. Lupe Mendez was the 2022 Texas Poet Laureate. He used his platform to bash Greg Abbott uh, as vehemently and fervently as possible. Uh, His book, How I Am Like Tequila, is on the banned book list Mm -hmm. of Texas. And I just think that's a perfect encapsulation of how the people in charge don't actually represent the people. Not at all. You know, I was on a panel earlier this week, which was about uh, being queer and writing. Um, Shout out to Gemini Inc. Yes, writing during very hostile times. And one of the other panelists, basically, like, when we came to that um, topic was like, look, if I, as a queer writer, am writing a book that isn't being banned, then I don't think I'm doing my job right. You know, so if. If all of these laws are being put in place that are banning our very existence and my book isn't being banned, then I don't think I wrote the right book. So I think this just further exemplifies how people are, you know, the government is completely out of tune with what the people, who the people are and what the people want. Um, I'd be curious to see how many of our Texas Poet Laureates may or may not have books on the banned book list. Sure. In Texas. Or how someone like an Eris Keon or others like Irina Lara Silva, mm-hmm. like take the mantle forward. Yeah. Because I, I this is, I know, I, I know about this how Eris Keon is taking the mantle forward and by roasting Drake. Yeah, that was a good one. Shout out to Eris. <laughs> Shout out to Eris Keon, uh, a friend of the pod. Always welcome on the pod. Uh, maybe I try calling Eris right now. I want to just kind of single out Texas and say that I think. Texas artists have a responsibility right now on all facets, whether you're poet laureates or you're not. If you're just poet who goes to open mic to to rebel against uh, the fascism at hand, man, because throughout this this state, there's a lot of um, decisions that are being made that do not represent what the people want. And um, yeah, like how are you gonna ban like Lupe is the nicest guy ever? Yeah, and his and his book is a is a genuine book about what it is like to grow yeah. up, you know, like as a you know like immigrant, son of immigrants on the Texas border. Like it's 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 an accurate representation of Texas life, you mm-hmm. know. Hello, Air is Keon Brown. Hi, Jay. How are you? Good. How are you? Where are you at? I'm good. I'm in my home. I'm just like preparing to go block walking eventually. Block walking? What does that mean? 
Yeah, I'm like, there's like this campaign going around to get signatures so um, like Harris County can have more representation in some body of government. So mm. I'm going to like go help knock on doors to get some signatures. I'm so here for that. Shout out to you. <laughs> we were talking about, so somebody came through in our DMs uh, being like, can we talk about how our 2022 Texas Poet Laureate's book is banned in Texas? And we were like, let's oh, get the perspective sure. of a uh, other poet laureate, Harris uh, Keon Brown. Your thoughts on the subject of the state of Texas banning the books of its own poet laureates? Ooh, I have um, a literal ton of thoughts. Um, <laughs> like I have an obnoxious amount of thoughts. But um, I think one, it just shows so much about where we are at um, in this state. Um, there's this constant back and forth between making a tremendous amount of project uh, progress and then this massive largely organized movement against progress um, where you can have someone elect a really amazing, progressive, strong candidate for poet laureate Lupe Mendez mm -hmm. and then have the very person who elect him um, put in the same rules and regulations that would allow his book to be banned and censored. Um, so like that back and forth relationship is just so um, it's like really, really like prevalent um, right now, especially in Texas. I think it's crazy. I think it's wild, um, <laughs> but it really does just showcase how politics in, in, in the state of Texas is looking right now. Mm -hmm. It's it's it feels we were talking about earlier. It feels like so disconnected and disjointed of like people don't actually know what the people want. And by people, yeah. I mean, like those and those elected are so disconnected. No, exactly from exactly. the populace that they serve. I have a question, Eris. So, cause they, when it, to me, it seems like this attack on art, but more specifically the literary arts. And like, I don't see any of this sort of banning or sort of vehement reactions coming towards like art mural installations and all this other stuff. Why? Like it's always the literary arts that they come for. Yeah. And, 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 and especially with someone like Lupe and then someone such as yourself, who's now Houston Poet Laureate, shout out to you. Um, hey, thank you. Like, honestly, like, do you feel like any sort of pressure because of the powers that be now potentially like looking at someone such as yourself in all yeah. this? And then why do you think they come for us? What the fuck? I mean, there's something really special and powerful about the written word. You know what I mean? Mm. Where so much of visual or musical arts can, um, don't have to make a statement. They don't have to actually say anything. They can be an experience of an emotion. They can be um, like an articulation of a feeling. Um, but when you're writing something down and you're really putting your words on the page, you have to say something. And they, that is terrifying whenever you're saying things that attack people in power or when you're saying things that liberate the everyday person that would remove power from those who've always had power so when i see like the attack on the literary arts it feels intentional because they know the power of the written word mm -hmm. and when i think about my own pressure i don't know if i feel pressure necessarily from like those powers, those people in power, I do feel a responsibility to the people that I am in community mm. with to make sure that like we are all um, taking seriously like the stories we're telling about the community and the stories that we're telling about the work we do. Um, 
I, I feel like if I start getting banned or censored or something like that, then I'm doing something right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's scary and terrifying. And, you know, it can cause a lot of issues and harm, but um, that, that won't stop me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've done this work. Yeah. For as long as I can, so um, yeah, it's just it's a, it's a scary concept, but I, I I know the power, and I know y'all know the power of the written word and, and the spoken word. And this is exactly why Eris Keon Brown is your new Houston poet laureate, the youngest Houston <laughs> poet laureate. I think we're just gonna cut everything else out of this episode and just air that one clip, and like yeah. that's the whole episode Please. because they're so <laughs> brilliant. No, you're, you're, yeah, it was amazing, and yeah. yeah. 100% on brand. Yeah. Shout out to you. Thank you for taking this time. Also, thank you Salute. for taking the time to uh, roast Drake's book. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Dude. Ooh, that was great. Listen, I, I'm a big fan of people picking up the pen and writing poems. Mm-hmm. But like, I think that we are all, as we enter the field of poetry, we are all open to critique of the people around us. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is unique to be like, hey, mm, are mm. we feeling that? This ain't it. You know, it's just a part of the work. It's a part of the work. Well, listen, while, while we have you here, just for a couple more minutes, because I know you got to go uh, do your blocking. Um, so Rooster yeah. and I were talking about it earlier this week. And I the point that I was making was that the problem with poetry is that it doesn't have subgenres. Right. You don't judge all fiction the same. Right. You're not going to judge YA fiction the same. You're going to judge horror thrillers fiction the same. You're going to judge, you know, like whatever other subgenre of fiction there are, because there's hundreds of them. But poetry just has poetry. And we're all supposed to like um, accept it all as poetry or say none of this is poetry except for this. And it's like, how do you put Allen Ginsberg, Eduardo Corral Harris, Keon Brown, and Drake in the same category. Yeah, that's so real. And I feel like there's like a lot of conversations about like craft and like what is good and what's not. And it's like so much of these different types of genres are serving different purposes. And so I'm like, if we talk about purpose and what the work is supposed to be doing, that's so much more of an interesting conversation than whether or not this is good or Mm. this is bad. But if we're just talking about straight up whether or not I'm feeling it or not, I'm be honest. That's just what it is. It was like <laughs> four words on a page, like not even using the whole page. Drake, what are we you doing? Know, and I'm like, listen, some people love that. And so I'm like, you know, if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. But like, I really am a fan of poems that like legit speak to the human spirit. Mm. And like, if it's not doing that, I'm gonna be like, hey, that's not what it's doing. Like, I just want to, like, we don't have to say bad or good, but we can really be like, this isn't touching what I would like for it to touch. Or this is for me, mm-hmm. not giving me the, it's not moving me in the way I'd like to be moved from poetry. Some people might just want to read a couple Instagram captions and call it a day. Um, but I do yeah. think you're right in that the genre of this particular work should be distinguished. 100%. Well, thank you, Eris Keon Brown for- Enjoy your um, Sunday. For picking up the phone. New Houston and Poet Laureate. If anybody wants to follow you that isn't already, where can they find you? They can follow me at A-R-I-S-K-I-A-N at Eris Keon on Instagram as well as H-O-U Poet Laureate on Instagram and then of course on Twitter um, Rosewater Frames. Um, hey, Eris, last quick question. Are you going to stay on Twitter yeah. now that it's melting down? Because hey, you're, you're heavy on Twitter. Lie. 
I am heavy on Twitter. I'm gonna write it till the wheels fall off. Okay, cool. Um, and then once it's gone, I'll I'm free. You know All what right. I mean? I'm, I'm, riding, I'm riding with Harrison. Yeah, because I've been debating. I'm like, ah, oh. we go. That's real. Just That's real. see it to the end. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today, and thank you for your amazing words and your amazing work and everything that you do. We appreciate. Of course, you. y'all be well. You too. Of course. Bye. Bye. That was that was a nice little tangent that we took. Excited to have that. Um, let's keep on the poetry conversation, uh, real quick, as we're talking about poetry and uh, spoken word in the spoken word world and in the poetry slam world. There is this thing known as Exit Thirty Six. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Eccentric. I shout out to Eccentric. Always welcome on the. Po- Do I have a Centric's number? Can I Do you call Eccentric? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I have a Centric. I think the I can answer just is like. No. Shout out to Eccentric. Uh, Eccentric hosts what is known as the. Um, exit 36 slam, which I think has something to do with a highway in Florida. Yeah. And this is the exit you take to go to where this, the city where this slam takes. Pompano Beach. And they've been doing the exit 36 slam for a few years now, actually. I Mm -hmm. think this is like year four, year five. And they opened up registration and in five minutes, registration was sold out. It was funny for me because... I had I had an inkling. I was like, you know what? I think I may want to do it this year because last year looked so awesome. Uh, and I was like, it w- registration opened up at midnight, July first, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll come back check it. You know, to Wednesday. Yeah. And then no. later on, I went and I checked it. It was like sold out. I was like, are you how? And then I started seeing Facebook. That was my ports. entire Facebook feed, which is everyone how, talking yeah. about how fast this sold yeah. out. And that it's because shout out to Eccentric who puts on a damn good, knows how to organize. Yes. Right. Knows how to show run, knows how to make sure that like I's are dotted, T's across, like puts on a prestigious event. Um, and how many people, how many poets? That I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know either. I assume maybe thirty six. I think it's about thirty six, or it's it's somewhere in that ballpark. So super excited for that. Also, eccentric is your tournament director for Southern Fried twenty twenty four. Southern Fried twenty twenty four, which we will be at. Yeah, we're going. I don't I, give a shit. Yeah, whether I'm on a team or not, like. I'm going to Pompano Beach, yeah. you know, summer 2024. So shout out to that. I think that just deserves its its praise for what it was. And, um, and I think it gets a, a recognition for something that we've been talking about a little bit, which is that poetry slams are, I don't want to say back back, but they're, again, the, the momentum's building. It's mm-hmm. almost like pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. I can't stress this enough to listeners how many, how the scene was pre-COVID, and how much has been lost. So so the fact that now to have an exit 36, to have a Southern Fried that was just successfully happened in Nashville mm-hmm. and next year in Pompano and people are very stoked to River nope. City Rumble here. To, and and also on the, on the air is Keon Brown and eccentric of it all. Shout out to Blackwing. Shout out Doing to Blackwing. Doing the fucking work. Always. Always. Like, yeah. and deserving so much more recognition that they get. I think, I think both Eris and eccentric are definitely getting the recognition that they deserve because <clears> of the work that they do. Yeah. They, it's not just talk. They are out there. They're in their communities. They're doing things for their communities. They are the uplifting their communities and also being able to, like, fucking do it. So, yeah. like, go do it. Earn your coin and build community. So, <clears throat> there's that. Um, juvenile? 
I, <laughs> I don't even know if we need to really touch on this. Because you, how, how much juvenile were you listening to? Never. None. I did see, I do love Tiny Desk. I know what NPR's Tiny Desk was. I have seen clips of Juvenile's NPR Tiny Desk. He was doing the most, yeah. and it looked amazing, and so, it sounded great. Oh, yeah. So, so both the Exit 36 and Juvenile question come from Cupcake. Shout out to Cupcake. Uh, juvenile, the interesting thing about it was that he had no idea what a Tiny Desk concert was. Wow. For Four months ago, but as as we've all kind of, I, I don't know. You you appreciate Tiny Desk, right? I love Tiny Desk. What is it about the Tiny Desk that we love? So one, it is usually it is the next big thing kind of moment. Mm-hmm. You know, like people that are having a Tiny Desk concert are people that should be on your radar, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I appreciate. You know, I love finding new voices, new new musicians, and things like that. Uh, Tank and the Bangas was on Tiny Desk, and that. Yeah. Gina Chavez was on Tiny Desk and similarly like that was a a, a propulsion. Um, But then it's also artists like Juvenile. T-Pain's was great. T-Pain's and Lizzo. Even though I think Lizzo's Tiny Desk was probably before Lizzo was like Lizzo the way Lizzo is now. Um, But it, it also forces us to forces artists to like strip back all the bells and whistles and let's just see the music. Yeah. You know, let's just see your performance. It reminds you know, me like, of MTV Unplugged. You remember A those? little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, it's yeah. kind of MTV Unplugged 2.0. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's being put on by NPR. And, and, and having it at a, a desk. An in, actual in, desk. In their actual workstation. It kind of also speaks to some, the way Unplugged was, I think it's, it's that stripped down Kind of just keep it. Nirvana unplugged, Shakira unplugged, Alice in Chains, Florence and the Machine unplugged. Like so many. Manon unplugged is a classic. Yes, so many great moments because it forced you to strip everything down and just present yourself in a very raw and real way. And then the fact that it's at a desk at NPR, it kind (laughs) of makes it think like, I don't know, it, it connects with listeners and audiences in a very real way where it's like, yeah. Most of us, we just bang this music in our in our cubicles mm-hmm. as we're doing our work. And shout out to that. And uh, but juvenile, I mean, who is not a juvenile? Who is no longer a juvenile? <laughs> he is very much an older man. Um, I mean, what ju- made it so great? It's because juvenile might be one of those few underappreciated icons. Mm. Of the 90s into the 2000s. Are they underrated favorites? Mm, no. because So it's like this. It's like, see, here's a good example. Someone like Ludacris. Mm-hmm. Great banger tracks, but then also went on to do movies. Sure. And still exists in the zeitgeist in some form or fashion. Yeah. yeah. But the, I think, and, and I think the internet has, has created this new space where like people live on in perpetuity, but there's also... A lot of acts that were right before the internet hit, like someone like Twista, for instance, like mm-hmm. when he did Overnight Celebrity or um, I don't know who I can really think of at this moment. I mean, there was our you remember like that. Here's a good example. You remember that vitamin C song, uh-huh. the one that was used for Graduation. all the graduations? Yes. Like that was a moment that doesn't really exist in the new internet age because it's like, yeah, it just had its time. It came through. And in a weird way, Juvenile was one of the biggest selling acts ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but never really tapped into like, let me be on podcast, let me be internet me now, yeah. the way like a TI did, or even to a certain extent a DMX. DMX was mostly because he was in the news for bad things. Sure. Um, <laughs> rest in peace, DMX. Uh, but so so to see Juvenile kind of come out of 
the past. And that's what it kind of feels like. It's okay. like it's kind of like if Metallica. Here's a great example. It's like when Metallica showed up with their song on Stranger Things. And then it just connected Master of Puppets to a whole new generation uh-huh. where it's like, oh, my God. Like, I mean, that's the running up, uh, running the, up the that hill of it, of it all. all. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and I think that's what it where where sometimes we appreciate. I mean, like Cindy Lauper is a great example. Like Cindy Lauper is amazing. She's yeah. a proto feminist. She's a proto hipster, a proto everything. That quirky chick that lives and breathes and exists and yeah. drinks iced coffees and has anxiety today. <laughs> With Cindy Lauper in the '90s or yeah. '80s, uh, and 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 there's a whole generation. I mean, Debbie Harry with with Blondie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot pre-internet that I think got lost to to the annals of time. The annals of time, and how it it only happens if you if you share it, right? Because like, you know, like I'm aware of Cindy Lauper, because but because Cindy Lauper is very queer culture, right? Exactly. You know, and it's one of those things that like got passed down through people. Um, I don't remember who I recently saw that was like, I don't know who Cher is. And I was like, ah! Oh, yeah, that's the easiest way to feel old. Uh, what? Um, so I I was aware of the word, of, of, of the artist known as Juvenile. You knew back that ass up. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That was Juvenile? Yeah. Okay, so now I know that. Yeah. <laughs> back that ass on comes on. That's it. It's, it's it, And like, back that ass up might be... And I'm not being hyperbolic when I say this. Up there with songs like Earth, Wind & Fire, September, Michael Jackson's Billie Jean, where it's like it it's on and all of a sudden you're transported. You have to stop what you're doing. To the window, to the wall. To the window, to the wall. Achy, breaky all. heart. Maybe not that far, <laughs> but close. Yeah, yeah. Boot Scoop Boogie. It, everybody knows it. Neon Moon. Neon Moon is a better. I don't know that. Oh, my God. How are you a Texan? Uh, and not know Neon Moon. Sing when me the sun sing goes this. down on my side of town, nothing. And the Neon Moon, yeah, and I'll be all right. Yeah, as yeah, long okay, as okay, okay, okay. I know it. I know it. That doesn't mean I subscribe moon. to it. Brooks and Dunn, man. <laughs> uh, Garth or, or Garth, actually, Garth Brooks is another great example of someone who was pre internet who also did not want his records being on YouTube, didn't uh, want them in digital spaces. And so what I'm hearing is these are these are the pre-internet people that didn't jump on the internet bandwagon. Is that is that what I'm they hearing? They either didn't jump on or for whatever reason didn't catch that fire the way others did. You know, because you've got a number of artists that, you know, like were that like pre-internet you know, like amazingness. And then we're like, well, I'm going to be a judge on the voice. Yeah. And that's how I'm going to like keep my lunch. And then people find out about my music because of that. Gwen Stefani is a great example. Gwen Stefani is a great example. Yeah. Like Gwen Stefani has been just having a whole after music career. Yes. Post no doubt. I mean, there's people who have no idea who no doubt is. And I mean, unfortunately, shit, Sunday morning's my jam. Because no doubt was peak Gwen Stefani. Hell yeah. I'm so sorry, but you know, like bananas is not where it's at. No. At all. Uh, or someone like Eve. Eve is another good example who had hits, but then as life progressed, not, didn't really feel inclined. She got married to a billionaire. Is Eve having a resurgence? No, because, no. Oh, I'm, I'm just okay. saying that maybe she's an ex. Maybe she guy. should. Eve, get a Tiny Desk concert because this generation needs you. There Oof. you go. Bring them back. Bring them back. Uh, other people who should have tiny desk concerts. Mm. Incubus. Wow. I, I would be. I would be. I would be interested to see what an incubus that tiny desk concert would be. Fascinating. <laughs> 
And I hate you for this. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. When Incubus was <laughs> at the top, I hated them. Uh-huh. I did not like them. Stop hating Brandon Boyd. It, was, it wasn't just that. It was because in this weird way, I felt like this is what it was. I felt like they took new metal, like corn uh-huh. and uh motherfucking deftones uh-huh. and all these yes. bands and then they made it like Simon and Garfunkel soft. <laughs> That's what they did. They were like, no 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 we're not gonna go that hard. We're gonna we're gonna but make they it didn't, soft they, to but, the touch. But, but they weren't making new metal. They were making it's mushroom totally, metal. No, it's no it's, it's new metal. Me- it's never no. Yes. I push against that at Full stop. I it is not no. new metal. Just because you did mushrooms while listening to Incubus, Incubus actually, I, and Corn are not the same. No, no, thing. they are. Incubus the, and Linkin Park are not the they same. They are things. acoustic Linkin Park. They mm, they have a DJ. They have a DJ. Yeah, like it's new metal, but like they, what they did, like Animali, Megalomaniac, those are new metal songs. Uh-huh. Brandon Boyd <laughs> just was like, I'm gonna sing more, rap less, and. We'll see what happens. See, whereas like you see them taking what Corn and Deftones were mm-hmm. doing and taking it and t- making it commercial, I see it as taking what Red Hot Chili Peppers no. was doing. Well, no, there's that too. They completely ripped off Red Hot Chili yeah. Peppers. <laughs> and yeah, but no, you know what I think it was. I I look at Incubus and 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 since I've kind of reassessed Incubus, there's a lot of Incubus songs that I really j- that deep, are great, deep cuts, and there's deep, a lot that cuts. are not. Yes, yes. Um, Incubus is elevated 311. Ah, yeah, because poor 311. Poor 311, because I love uh, 311. Uh, 311 is on, on par with... Not about you. Oh, fucking Gin Blossoms. Yes, Gin Blossoms. You're there saying we three, go. No, 311 is not the Gin Blossoms. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no. No, Gin Blossoms is the precursor to Kings of Leon. Ah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. And maybe even Incubus. But no, but I think that 311 was, was like that weird skate ska. Like it was like it's like offspring type shit. Even and then But even then it was like soft offspring. It was a little soft. It was yeah, it it was offspring meets the cure like yeah, and, you know. Yeah. All right. I rock with 311. We've taken enough trips down memory lane from uh, this one. Wait, no. Nope. One more. Tiny Desk concert that needs to happen. Yeah, Tiny Desk concert that needs to happen because apparently you shut down my Incubus idea. No, no, I actually I think you're brilliant on that. I think I think Incubus is one of the answers. I'm gonna say Janet Jackson. Oh, because I because remember '90s, 2000s. Janet. But can Janet still? Because I don't know. You know I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a I lot mean, of haters for this. I'm gonna get a lot of haters for this. I don't know if Janet Jackson can Janet Jackson without the like song and thirty dancers behind her and the lights and the thing that you know, like the whole Janet Jackson. Which Janet Jackson are you talking about? I. I, I because I'm Janet talking Jackson, about Escapade, and she can do that dolo. But I'm talking about Janet Jackson today. Like, oh, can fair. she do Janet Jackson? Yeah. You know, because there's a whole generation Because you could put Erica Badu in front of a microphone oh, yeah. with, like, a fucking ukulele in you the background. You put her in a Starbucks, yeah, <laughs> you know? with a fucking iPod, and she'll be fine. Yeah. So Everyone's jamming. No, I don't I know if you. Janet can Janet without yeah. Janet teen. What about Muse? Tiny Desk. Yeah. See, I think Muse is another one. They lived through the internet age through Twilight, mm. but not through 
like how great they really were. I think Muse is an underrated favorite. I 100% agree. Um, Are we, which, is that just a spinoff? Underrated favorite music <laughs> edition? Which I don't know if they're necessarily underrated because they have a huge following and they sell out like stadium tours all the time, right? But I think... They uh, should be more popular. They should. They should. I think people shit on them. They should be as popular as Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I remember I, remember I went to a, um, a concert in Dallas that was kind of like an Ozfest or a mm. warp tour of sorts where it was just like Prog it's rock. taking place it's taking place here at this big thing and there's multiple stages and a ton of artists right and Muse was one of those artists and that was one of the reasons that I went and I remember I went with a friend and then the friend was like I don't think I understood Muse until I saw Muse live. Like yeah. now I get why it's so grand and epic and like the sound that it is because when they do what they do, it's incredible. And if any if, if any of y'all have never seen Muse live at the Roman Olympic Stadium, like that concert is quintessential Muse. Like it will blow your fucking brains out. I love Muse. I stand mm -hmm. Muse. I will ride hard to die for Muse. And I would love to see them do it like a, a tiny, tiny desk, desk be you hard. know, sort of thing. So. We got to tag them in this one. <laughs> Muse! Uh, uh, always welcome on the pod. Yeah. I guess. But that pretty much does it for us. Um... That's it. That was that. That was us. that was what was going down in the DMs. And we let's spoke going out to down. Ares, Keon. Let's, let's let's go down. Let's go out. We out, man. It's Sunday. Uh, before we leave, <laughs> you gotta allow for the transitions to happen. You I mean, you can't I think, just speak over the music. Yeah, that's what like rappers <laughs> like Freeway and a lot of classic rappers did. Uh -huh. DMX did that. As we're getting out of here, what are you looking forward to? Uh, well, this is a question more than what I'm looking forward to. Uh, Fourth of July, what are you doing? Uh, do you hey, do anything? How, I mean, I know we have touchy feelings about Fourth of July because it's not for everyone. I mean, you know, okay. as as uh, this um, democracy continues to crumble, I am less and less enthused to celebrate. Sure. Uh, you know this quote unquote democracy. Um, but I'm going to spend some time with my family. Uh, I mentioned it last week on the pod where I might go down. And so like that's been solidified. I'm going to pick up my grandma from the airport tomorrow. Hey. And then uh, we're going to go down to Laredo. And she, oh, no, okay, go ahead. she's got some doctor's appointments the following week. But this week is just going to be us hanging out. And so like uh, I'm working on this cookbook that is all based off of family recipes. My grandma's she, recipes. Yeah. She had a, a um, I think a, that's a very Mexican thing to do because my mom is doing the same yeah. thing. Yeah. She's like got my grandmother, <laughs> like my dad's mom and her mom's recipes and then her recipes. And then she's asking me like, well, what do you come up with? And I'm like, I make ghetto ass poor meals <laughs> from college. Like, So my grandma had a, in, a box full of index cards uh -huh. with all of her recipes from when she used to cook. Same. And she's like, the mother of nine children right mm -hmm. so like all of these recipes are fucking epic and they're also written the way that like Mexican moms write recipes where it was like stick in oven and cook yeah and it's like grandma for how long? That does for how long? At what temperature? None of this is making any sense to me, right? It's because Mexican so, grandmas cook everything at three seventy five. <laughs> swear to God, that's not wrong. I'm not. That's like, not I'm, wrong. I'm there. Um, they bake at three seventy five. They cook everything or, at lasagnas. Or, or my grandmother cooks at two hundred oh, Celsius. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Mexican uh, heard. And so like I've been working on this where I was like transcribing all her recipes and then translating all her recipes. And so now this week we're my, we're actually going to like cook some of those recipes. That's super dope. And I'm going to record her guiding me cooking those recipes because, you know, she's got something to say. Be like, no, you you're doing that wrong. Her? 
Yeah. Record her. Yeah. I'm going to, I think that'll go. I'm going to, I'm going to record her. Um, and then, uh, I'm going to get some backstories on these recipes. Like, so like, where did this recipe come from? When did you cook it? What memories do you have with it? And then like, get all that to like, like finish this fucking cookbook that I've been working on for like three years now. That's hard as fuck. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited for it. You know, uh, my grandma's. What's your favorite dish out of the, uh, the bunch or the one that's most interesting to you? Well, I, I'm partial to my grandma's meatloaf slash mm. my grandma's albondigas, which yeah, is, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, it's a meat dish. I yeah. fucking love it, it's you know? Um, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I really want to like finish this. Like I didn't realize my grandma's turning 90 this year. Yeah. Uh, I thought she was in her mid eighties. I thought she was like 84, 85, but mm. no, she's turning 90 this year. And it's one of those things where it's like, let's see if I can't get this cookbook out into the world and published while grandma's still here. So yeah, she, while can, she like, can tour with it. Yeah. yeah go yeah. cook some shit on. Let's uh, make grandma famous on YouTube. Fucking it. My essay. Yes. We, we got some connects in the media. We'll hit them up. Okay. This grandma. is Grama Autentico. And we can go to Univision. We fucking, we go all over the map. Hit me up, y'all. Grama, grandma is 90 years old from, from deep in the heart of Mexico. Uh, Raised a family of nine and has... This is how I know my grandma goes hard because like when we were like seasoning the meat, well, the last time we were like cooking the meatloaf, you know, it's like, well, how do you know how much like salt or pepper to use or whatever, how much seasoning, whatever. She was like, eat it. And she just picked up a chunk of raw, raw meat, meat and just yeah. ate it and was like, needs more garlic. And I was like, Grandma, <laughs> you can't be eating raw meat. They didn't She's give like, a shit no. about E. coli back then. No, still doesn't give a well, shit at nine a, years Oh, old. man, we're going deep right now. And I know we're supposed to be ending right <laughs> no, now. No, that's fine. Here's my question. Do you wash your meat? Do I wash my meat? Oh, my God. This is deep. We may need to save this for the next pod. If you wash your meat, let us know in our DMs. I don't wash my meat. So this is the thing because, like, uh, for instance, Dominique and the homie Raquel, they and, and, and a number of other people who I know, they do this thing where they get meat from AGB uh-huh. or wherever. And then the first thing they, they do before cooking it is they wash it. This is news to me. Really? Okay. I've never heard of this. See, I I didn't grow up in a wash meat family. No, you just cook it. Right, but see, then in talking, you might pat it dry. You might pat it dry. Yeah. But like, no, like they, what a lot of them do is they run it through water. They sometimes they clean it with like lime, oh. like a, 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 a limon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if you if that's what you got, um, and then you start seasoning it and everything else before throwing it in. Never did that. No. But then it made sense because like for someone like Raquel, it was like. Where was your grandma getting meat? And it was usually open air markets <laughs> back in the day in El Salvador. Sure, sure. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, there was flies and shit. Like you, you know, you clean your meat, but like this is packaged at H E B. Yeah. And it's like wrapped in cellophane. You know, the funniest thing, uh, as I was like making this cookbook, um, because again, like the recipes were not entirely clear. And so I did multiple times during the pandemic, like zoom my grandma to be like, Grandma. I don't understand what you're saying in this recipe, right? And so there were moments where, like, she'd be reading through the recipe and she was like, okay, wash and chop down eight tomatoes <laughs> and then DC the. And she, and she, you don't have to do that. Just go buy a can of tomatoes. Just go buy yeah. a can of. And I was yeah. like, Grandma, no. It was a different time. Different time. I get it, you know, but like, we don't know. Like, that's the authenticness of it. Yes, let's make it from scratch. She's like, no, put in the recipe, buy a can of tomatoes. Yeah. I was like, all right, all right, Grandma. 
And so, like, I didn't change the recipe, but I did make, like, a footnote being, like, Grandma says it's okay to buy a can of tomatoes. Yeah. You don't have to de-kernel your own corn. Buy no. a can of corn. It's fine. Grandma said. Grandma said. Well, that sounds awesome. What are you looking forward to? Fourth of July. Do you Fourth of July? I know there's my fireworks. My there's going to be fireworks. I don't buy any, but my neighborhood Fourth of July. It'll be cool. Uh, I may just drink a beer. Um, I don't really celebrate it that much. I don't get down. It's nice. I'm off anyway. So, no. um, but one thing I am looking forward to, and we'll probably still have another pod between then and now is that, uh, you're going to do the live recording at blah. That will be the no, no, no. Yeah. That's after yeah, yeah. we'll have another, so we'll have another pod, but yeah. I'm really, I'm going to create a flyer for that. Okay. I'm going to start promoting it. I'm excited for it. Because, like, listen, at oh, you weren't at the Slam last week. So at the Slam, Shaggy announced, like, oh, next week, new shit show, and Chibi's going to record a live album. People were hype. Oh, The people okay. were hype. Okay. So I'm, I'm like, I got to ride that wave. I'm going to create a flyer. I'm going to make sure they all come out for your show. Yay. And uh, have a good time. She's recording a spoken word album and trying to get some live recordings done, you know, because yeah. we, we trying to do some things. Trying to win some Grammys. Trying to win some Grammys. Trying to, just trying to, you know, like, I think this is really for me, like, where I'm, like, trying to figure out, like, exactly what lane am I riding in? And, like, I've always been performance first, right? And so, like, let's let's see what we can do with the performance of something. And let's see if we can't elevate what spoken word is uh, in, in the San Antonio community and what we can do with it. I heard. So, well, where can people find you, Jimmy? Uh, if... There we go. People are interested in looking me up. You can find me on Instagram, Gemini's G-E-M-I-N-E-Y-E-S. Rooster. Uh, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter, Roost M-T-Z, R-O-O-S-T-M-T-Z. Until the wheels fall off and me and Eris Keon get kicked off that motherfucker. That's right. I'll be on uh, Twitter. I don't know how much twitting I'll be twittering, but um, it, it's there. Uh, until then, thank you to the listeners who stuck around. Episode 20. Episode 20. We are 20 episodes 20 in. Uh, almost almost a full six months of recording. Y'all are still here. I hope you're enjoying. If you got anything to say to us, you can always hit us up in the DMs or you can uh, send us an email after two tequila shots at gmail.com. That's after the number two tequila shots at gmail.com. I also really appreciate y'all criticizing shit we talk about. So thank you. Yeah. Let us know where we suck. Yeah, no, it's great. Until next time, y'all. Have Peace. a good one. Bye.